Podcast. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The orphans bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother Wesley. And today we are discussing a film from 1986. Three. <laughs> <laughs> Who who does the little falsetto in there? Is that Chevy Chase? I'm not sure, because but definitely Martin Short is the best singer of the three, as is evidenced in the uh, the Blue Shadows song. Boom, the boom, Blue boom, Shadows boom, song boom. written by Randy Newman and Steve Martin. Well, the screenplay was written by Steve Martin, but then also Lauren Michaels, head of SNL, and Randy Newman has screenwriting credit. He and a bunch of huh. the songs and provides the voice for the singing bush. <laughs> I think I fell asleep because all of a sudden they were looking for a singing bush and the invisible swordsman. Where did that come from? There are theories because no supernatural elements had been introduced before that point. But how do they get on that track? The villagers, they set off and let's ride and they ride across the desert. And then he says, how far do you think we went before we had to turn back and get directions? And Lucky's like only three or four miles. So they got directions from the villagers, which instructed them to find the singing bush, summon the invisible swordsman, and he will show them the way to Aguapo's camp. So we actually, we don't actually see the scene between the three amigos and the villagers where they give them the direction to find the singing bush right. and the invisible swordsman? And one person on the internet suggested that that's because it never happened. Or that the villagers, knowing that the amigos failed them in their first attempt at confronting Aguapo, uh, gave them ridiculous instructions that would send them off into the desert to a certain death. Except that there was a singing bush and apparently a, an invisible swordsman. Yeah, and that's what they saw. But one person theorized that during the campfire scene when they're singing and they start to see the, uh, the singing animals, that eating that diseased bat gave them all rabies and they lapsed into a psychedelic fever dream. That then the animals started talking, then there was a singing bush, then there was an invisible swordsman, then they were real outlaws or they were real amigos and real gunfighters and things that they could infiltrate this this Mexican bandito stronghold, that they could rescue Carmen and then mac on hot chicks at the end. 
And Martin Short scores with the busty lusty at the end. And so and the first instances of the fever dream were suggested to be them riding through the desert and being feverish with thirst. And Martin Short gets the raw end of the deal there. But in the end, he comes around with the senior, beautiful senorita. And so it was suggested that this is probably Ned Niederlander's fever dream. So basically, the three amigos are just corpses around a campfire in the desert. Yep. All desiccated and just like lived out. The, yeah, they never left the campsite. And they were eaten by all their animal friends. That little turtle wouldn't have eaten them. Nope. Night, Ned. That little turtle was the best. He was pretty cute. So that was very, um, that was very 80. When did uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure come out? 85. So this is 86, around the same time. The weird, like, talking animal thing, was that just like a mid-80s fad? It's still a thing. It's just not as cheesy. It's much more sophisticated. There's talking animals all over the place. Three Amigos goes off the rails. Well, it was, I mean, this seemed to have all the pieces of a proper 80s, not quite PC, but still fun comedy with the big players. At least it seems that way now. It seems as iconic and part of eighties, the 80s comedy landscape as any of the other movies we've discussed. I'd be curious to know what these proper pieces might be. But yeah, I mean, how big were Chevy Chase, Steve Martin, and Martin Short? I mean, weren't they the biggest... <laughs> Of the bigs? You would think so, except this is actually Martin Short's first feature role. Really? Which makes The Three Amigos the first short film. But uh, obviously, Saturday Night Live, Chevy Chase was a big part of that, Steve Martin. And uh, Martin Short was on SCTV, which was the Canadian counterpart to Saturday Night Live. But uh, this is also the movie where Steve Martin and Martin Short met, which led to The Father of the Brides, and then 30-plus years later, 34 Four years later, they're still touring, and they just wrapped up this worldwide tour, their, their comedy show. Did Steve Martin ever have dark hair? He did when he was a kid. He went very quickly prematurely gray, and that's fine. But you see the pictures of him working at Disneyland, where he learned to spin the rope and do card tricks and a lot of his sleight-of-hand stuff, and he had you know dark hair as a teenager. Well, Martin Short is playing a movie star in his first role. Isn't that kind of ironic? Yeah. I mean, it's called acting. Duh. Martin Short is uh, is curious because he was, you know, Canadian, and that's always curious. But he was from SCTV, and at one point he had a full-fledged, fledgling music career where he was, like, in the spangly suit and doing his crooning thing with the piano. Like, he very much wanted to be a legitimate musician as opposed to a comedian. A talented guy. I remember Brian and I were at some premiere, and there were celebrities, like, everywhere, and the celebrity that Brian's mom was most excited to see was Martin Short. Interesting. Like kept on edging toward him and she wanted his autograph. So where does that come from? How does Martin Short make it to notoriety in Peru so that Blanca would be after him? <laughs> was it inner space? Was it father of the bride? What was it? I, I have no idea. Those uh, These stars obviously were three of the main pieces. They weren't the first choices. They were, you know, everyone from John Candy to Rick Moranis were talked about in this movie. Uh, Bill Murray, I think, at one point. Uh, Steven Spielberg actually was going to direct this movie, and he had very different ideas of who would play the three amigos, but then he dropped out. A questionable decision. Like, how do you how do you feel when you're a major director, but you drop out knowing that you missed out on one of the classics? Like, you got to make it worthwhile, right? Well, he But he dropped out to do, like, E.T. E.T. And then, of course, Three Amigos was further delayed. It took, like, 10 years to get this movie to the screen. But, yeah, I, I'm guessing he made the right choice uh, for his career by choosing E.T. over the Three Amigos. 
I would say that E.T. is slightly more enduring, yeah. So what were these other 80s comedy components that you were speaking of? Well, Martin Short was the precursor to Jim Carrey. I think his and he himself is very much in the style of Jerry Lewis, the sort of physical comic. And he's a little guy, so he plays the cute, funny role. Like uh, Steve Catan later in Saturday Night Live kind of filled that niche. The cute little guy. And Steve Martin is funny, but he's just otherwise so universally talented. Like, that guy can do anything he wants to do. And I felt between the three of them, I've never been really on the Chevy Chase bandwagon. He uh, He's made lots of movies and is beloved and, and even TV shows and stuff. Apparently difficult to work with. But I felt that he was kind of dwarfed by Lucky and Ned around him. Well, not physically, right? He's huge. Compared well, to those right. two guys. And but thus he has to be right he, in the middle of them. Middle of them. Yeah, when, when they're standing abreast, he has to be in the middle because he's the tallest one. And they flank him. And he's uh, the, the most lackluster one, I think. He plays the kind of dumb one, but they're all dumb. So he's like, so he doesn't really stick out. <laughs> I don't think he sticks out really in any way. But he completes the trifecta of the three comedians that you need. It's like the Ghostbusters. You got to get the Ghostbusters right. He's supposed to be like the handsome one, I guess. Dusty? He's supposed to Dusty Bottoms is supposed to be like the dumb handsome one. I guess, but Carmen is after Lucky pretty much from the very start. But aside from the cast, which you have to round out and get right, there's the director, the unmatched John Landis, who is a pillar of 1980s comedy. Go-to guy and for horror comedy. An American Werewolf in London, one of my favorites, Trading Places, Coming to America. John Landis was the man. But very much a, a Saturday Night Live movie because it's got Phil Hartman and John Lovitz. And, but just all around a very Saturday Night Live type of movie. Set in 1919 Mexico and Hollywood. 1919 is important because it's supposed to be World War One era, hence the Red Baron. Well, yeah, the Snoopy's World War One flying ace. Amazing that our first, my first association with World War One, the Red Baron, is Snoopy. <laughs> And did you notice also how El Jefe was fully, full-on Jack Sparrow? Oh, yeah. Uh, that's not who Johnny Depp has, has credited, but uh, definitely those characters. But, man, I mean, even with, the, even with Steve Martin and Martin Short, all three of them combined, and Jefe, don't come close to Alfonso Arau as El Guapo. El Guapo, who was, <sighs> comedy or not, one of the best villains of the 80s, for sure. How do you not love that dude? <laughs> I love him a plethora. He had good villain teeth. But you're on board with me, right? This is like the 30th time you've seen this movie? This is the first time I've seen this film in 30 years. Okay, okay, maybe. Because I was going to say, you are fired. This is the first time I've seen this movie in 30 years, and I didn't remember too much. There were a couple of moments where I remembered enough to know what was going to happen. I knew that Carmen was going to pistol whip the sleeping guard. I knew that um, bartender was going to come back with some quippy comment at the end of the bar shooting. What does he say? This town's getting too rough for me. <laughs> Bartender's name, by the way, Fred Asparagus. I love asparagus. I would say Brussels sprouts is probably first, then broccoli, and then asparagus. You're a hipster. Well, we didn't even talk leafy greens. Lacinato <laughs> kale, and then curly kale. Yeah, Is it massaged kale, though? Of course. Got Otherwise, it. it's just too much masticating. Pomegranate? Toasted pine nut. A nice lemon vinaigrette? Just olive oil and salt and pepper. Okay. I just have to get to it. Um, I didn't crack a smile once 
in The wow. Three Amigos. So that's not totally true. For the majority of Three Amigos, but I, despite myself, I did crack a smile during <laughs> My Little Buttercup. Because it's so preposterous. The song, the choreography, the setting, you know, the bar backdrop for this thing. The fact that it's completely unasked for. (laughs) All right. We're going to put on a little number for you. (laughs) It's been a while. So forgive us that it's rusty. It's like, what? And it's so ridiculous. And it's so adorable. Like Martin Short is so adorable doing that number. I was resistant to the movie for some reason. Like I wasn't accepting it for what it was. And from that point forward, I was a lot more accepting. And then it became more enjoyable. Then it wasn't painful. Up until that point, it was almost painful. (laughs) This is a movie that comes from a very deep place and apparently only my childhood. Because I've seen this movie so many times, I can almost recite it from start to finish. So much so that the things that people find funny upon first viewing are the moments that I have to endure. Like the My Little Buttercup thing may have been surprising to you. It wasn't surprising to me, and it's hardly funny anymore, as enjoyable as it is to watch them, you know, give a a good performance. They're funny in doing it. But uh, Kelly had never seen this movie, and she was definitely not laughing throughout. It was like American Pickle over here with Kelly. But uh, she did laugh at, at Son of a Motherless Goat. And that move, that line is so overused, like it doesn't even register as comedy to me anymore. Where does he use that? Is that what he calls El, Hep, uh, yeah. El Wapo? You dirty ding slime, you scum sucking pigs, you sons of a motherless goat. Doesn't he talk the whole movie like that? Yeah, that's Steve Martin's thing. So when they throw down at the end of the bandito scene, where did that come from? The With the German? Yeah. Yeah, just to legitimize, you know, they weren't real gunfighters. They weren't real heroes. But he was a dedicated actor and a professional and definitely that fast. They become real heroes. That is the arc in The Three Amigos. Yep. And not a new premise. Uh, There were movies that Kelly could pull right out of her butt that this movie was close to. Galaxy Quest, A Bug's Life, Seven Samurai, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler wherein the heroes expect come in expecting something else, run away in fear, and then ultimately come and embrace their roles as heroes. Are you saying that Three Amigos laid the groundwork for all of these other movie classics? Uh, not necessarily, because The Seven Samurai preceded Three Amigos by quite a bit, which included the component of the, uh, the villagers coming to help in this deceptive way at the end, which wasn't necessary. They were like, what do we do in the meantime? Ed Wapo and his men are on the way. Let's start sewing. If they all had that many guns, they didn't need the costumes. They just all outnumber them and start (laughs) shooting back. Yeah, they all had guns. And I certainly saw a lot of Lucky, Dusty, and Ned in the gunfight. Yes. Like, it almost suggested that they were everywhere. But there were also a lot more cummerbunds out there than there were at the end. When all the villagers come out and they've got their little red ribbon bows instead of their um, cravats or whatever those things are called, none of them have cummerbunds, and yet almost everyone in the shootout does. So that's what you're going to do? You're going to nitpick the realism of Three Amigos? By the way, it is Three Amigos. You don't know this, but the inverted Spanish exclamation point is actually pronounced the. If that was a joke, it was so dry. (laughs) That it didn't even land. You got farther in Spanish than uh, I did, but I'm more Mexican than you are. How's that? I'm like three times your size. I'm way more Mexican (laughs) than you. 
<laughs> yeah, you got <laughs> you got all the masa. <laughs> I'm just like a Ned Nederlander tamale. Man, it's really hard not to because obviously we got the question comes up is whether or not this movie is racist blah 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 80 sensibility blah 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 everybody's too sensitive now but still no one was ever making fun of mexicans everyone was a caricature down to the white guys playing movie stars or whatever and if anything they were legitimately mexican in a heightened bandito western kind of sense right um, I guess in the sense that like all Mexicans are either villagers or banditos. Well, down there, maybe Mexicans in 1919 were all either villagers or banditos. They were in the uh, city uh, and then they went to the little village of Santa Poco, which is spelled Santa Poco, even though Poco is in the masculine form. And it should be thus Santo Poco, which actually a lot of the actual Mexicans called it. Because you can't say it wrong if you're Mexican. And a bunch of those people in that movie were Mexican and said it the right way. I wondered that. So you want to you want to nitpick the Spanish? Dude, it's a there's a point. They mispronounced the name of the, the way their town was named by the white writers for authenticity's sake. It was probably in recompense for the people in LA insisting it's pronounced Los Feliz or Los Angeles. <laughs> there was a, a lady in Spanish class when I was in college who was a white lady and spoke with zero accent whatsoever. And still, it wasn't the authenticity of the accent, but rather her grasp on the language. I don't know if those two can be completely divested, but I'm pretty sure she got an A and she went through the whole thing like, Donde esta el bano? No, I think pronunciation definitely plays a part. Tango dolor de estomago. <laughs> how is it that, so another nitpicky point, how is it that Steve Martin manages to hold up the entire crew of banditos with his one pistola? When all of them are armed, like how does he disarm 40 banditos with his one pistol and get them all to lay on the ground? Is it like, no, Ace, only you. I'll just shoot you, El Guapo. Oh, yeah. When they all drop their guns in the long procession when they flee El Guapo's camp? Yeah. (laughs) They all have guns. Why are they worried about Steve Martin on the ramparts or whatever with his one gun? He's the boss, man. It's it's unforgiven logic. When confronted with superior numbers the experienced gunfighter will always focus on the quickest opponent or like in stand by me gordy will just shoot ace yep and that's all they need to hear because jefe wasn't going to be his own man as he never grew into his name which is sad el wapo was the man and whatever he says goes el wapo was the man except that he was embarrassed that he was 40 years old he was 33 (laughs) yep 33 a sweater. See, this is what what I'm saying. Yes, we're half Mexican, but it still feels vaguely wrong. And yet you can't quote this movie without doing the accents. Well, I mean, because otherwise you're just saying a sweater, which isn't funny. Right. Have you? I, I've never since seeing the three amigos. I've never once said plethora without an accent. <laughs> is that true? Plethora. Yeah. I don't have much occasion to say it. But when I do, I will lapse into a Mexican accent in the middle of a sentence. Uh, But uh, despite having all these pieces, all the pieces in place and the cast and everything that they needed didn't stop Free Amigos from performing pretty dismally at the box office. Oh, really? Yeah, it was like the thing. Didn't do very well. Uh, John Landis was in the middle of a court case at the time where he was it was possible he was going to jail for manslaughter. So maybe it it affected uh, his work or something. I don't know, because this movie has definitely been embraced since nobody says turns up their nose and says, oh, the three amigos, except for you and Kelly and people who are wrong. 
until reviewing Three Amigos for our podcast, I always kind of thought of it fondly, like up there with Pee-wee's Big Adventure or Ghostbusters or whatever. That gives away our review for Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, well, who doesn't like Pee-wee's Big Adventure? Kelly. Well, Kelly, you're right. Kelly's wrong. But Three Amigos... (laughs) So I always held Three Amigos really in high high regard. I regarded it as an 80s classic, but Three Amigos does not fare well in 2020. Three, Amigo, Three Amigos, like, I don't know, dude. It kind of sucked. <laughs> Tell me why. I think that my memory did not serve me. My, my fondness for this movie did not serve me well in rewatching. I think the problem with this film is that you were saying Steve Martin, his whole his whole shtick is that affected way of speaking when he over pronunciates everything. And it's that self-awareness that permeates the whole film that makes it a lesser film. But maybe that was just the weird 80s thing where like where they were all self-aware and it was all physical comedy and all that kind of weird stuff. Maybe just Lucky Day has that, you know, self-aware kind of affected way of acting. Then you can have the wackos like the El Jefes and the El Wapos and the and the German arms dealers who go, das gut, das gut, when they stand around the maypole. Like, you can have, you can do that. <laughs> Look at the two little thesis. <laughs> Can't get away from it, man. It's so ingrained. I, can't, I know that this movie has serious problems. I know the singing bush is dumb. I know the invisible swordsman is dumb. I know a lot of it's dumb, including the ending. And chief among them is the contraption that Lucky Day is strapped into when he's locked up. Yeah. And, like what? And they drop the keys the right po- there. The for pulley system and the weights. What is the... Per- because it gives you, it gives Steve Martin the funny moment of being able to do some physical comedy. It was such brutal comedy when he gets slammed against the wall. Yeah, I was really looking for like any give in that wall. Like it had to have been like foam. Oh, makes my teeth hurt. But I get it. And some of it is embarrassing. Some of the stuff that plays specifically for laughs, because this movie very much wants to get laughs. Uh, Like the moment when they're sneaking around and they freeze and the guys walk by him as if they don't see him and things. (laughs) Because apparently banditos have Tyrannosaurus vision. But I would like to say that this movie is a good example of the movies we had discussed before where when it's so obviously a heightened, exaggerated level of comedy and a comedic reality, then you can do things like that where it doesn't the plausibility is easily second to the fun, the the humor and how it comes across. But. The Three Amigos fails as often as it succeeds, I will give you that. It's difficult because it's not funny in a lot of places. And the the stuff that was funny when I was a kid isn't as funny now. And I've owned The Three Amigos for decades. And I'm so close to it in a way that's not related to common sense or actual funny. Is it supposed to be funny and charming when they all dismount their horses and Chevy Chase ends up on the horse next to him? <sighs> It was a physical gag that they tried, and, you know, this movie's not long, and for the amount of screen time they had, they went for an awful lot of unfunny gags. Roger Ebert is pretty notorious for having hated this movie. There's a legendary story where he went on Carson, and Chevy Chase happened to be sitting next to him on the couch, and uh, and Johnny Carson said, "What's a, so what's a real stinker? We know your favorite movies. What's a bad one? And he said, well, I didn't like The Three Amigos. <laughs> 
And, uh, and he said it was a little bit too clever for its own good, clever in that they were writing and, and completely self-aware and shooting for laughs all the time. And it, and it wasn't fun. And some shooting of it wasn't laughs. funny. Yeah, shoot, that should have been the title of the movie, right? <laughs> Those darn amigos shooting for laughs. Definitely. But they weren't. They weren't. It, it wasn't funny. The three amigos weren't meant to be comedians. They were old timey entertainers where you couldn't be in a dramatic film unless you could sing and dance. They were just action pictures, uh, heroic action pictures, and they weren't meant to be funny. I kind of forget because it feels so 80s to me that this is set in turn of the century Hollywood and Mexico. It's not authentic, period, though. No, it's a Saturday Night Live slapstick comedy, man. They're basically physical comedy gags strung together that have zero story contribution. I mean, I like this idea that they go crazy in the desert and maybe are delusional with thirst or something like that because it actually gives the canteen scene some weight. But otherwise, it's just this really drawn out (laughs) extended (laughs) comedy scene about thirst and water. It's like it doesn't have any meaning I, I, and you apply that to the the movie at large. I mean, all, I think a lot of these movies, there's there's tons of Saturday Night Live movies that are just drawn out versions of the sketches on which they're based, right? Wayne's World, they made two of those movies. And it's all based on the same shtick. Yeah, basically. They're like, we have longer to play out this joke. And then we'll let Martin Short drop out like 20 minutes after he gets stuck in the pinata. Yeah, but then it had its own joke. Yeah. It landed on a joke. The whole thing. It oh, my joke. God. The whole thing was just so that they could say, our gringo's falling out of the sky. Like, he was up there for Amigos. like 20, whatever. He was up there for like 20 minutes just so that he could land that joke. What's your rating on the three, I mean, the, what's your rating on three amigos? Three amigos was a big pile of horse dew. Three amigos. <laughs> three amigos does not hold up, dude. It was, it was a boring for sure. Wow. Can't help it. Got to give Three Amigos a solid all right. Maybe just because of the fact that people say, oh, it's culturally insensitive. No, it's not. It's funny. You people are too damn sensitive. Wait a second. Wait a second. You can, This is like, how is this, how has this become that you have low all rights and solid all rights and high all rights? You just added three notches to your scale? Maybe. The Three Amigos is an all right movie. It's it does not in the pantheon of the great comedies of all time, but it's got an amazing villain and sometimes, as you found for me, a single character that's flawless in its execution is, is enough to carry a movie over for me where I love him so spectacularly that it trumps any of the stuff that would bring it to a below the line rating. And that person is Ned Niederlander? No, it's undoubtedly Alfonso Arau. Tell me why you love El Wapo so much. A sweater! <laughs> Together we. Because he's such cross a jovial bandito? Because he's such a jovial bandito? Dude, he's amazing. I like these guys. They're funny guys. Just <laughs> kill one of them. I like how El Wapo will not rape a woman, but he'll happily kidnap her and keep her hostage. Well, he wasn't going to rape a woman. He was going to encourage her gently to open her flower to him. Yeah, no, he doesn't. He won't rape. And if she doesn't want to, you know, do with him, he'll kill her. Yeah. Look, a, a bandito has different standards than you or I. Yeah, apparently his standards are pretty low when it comes to that sweater. It was more about the sentiment. <laughs> but you can't judge El Guapo any more than you can Herschel in American Pickle. It's a different time. It's 100 years ago. I don't get ago, it. You make ago, the weirdest exceptions for comedies. Seriously, I do not get your comic sensibility at all. 
Nobody does. Generally, my comic sensibility is in line with nobody else's. <sighs> Quotability and loveability. Wes gives three amigos a solid all right, a big stinking boring from Iris. That's our review on three amigos. Not to be confused with the three amigos. <sighs> Can you wrap this one up? <laughs> also not to be confused with Tres Amigos, which Alfonso Arau also starred in, 1970. Wait, seriously? Yeah, he was in another movie called, for better or worse, Three Amigos. Well, that's bizarre. So that's our talk on the three, uh, on three amigos. That sounds so dumb. Like if I can't do the, the exclamation points, it just doesn't feel right. You are doing the exclamation points. They are just not spoken. They are in inflection. They're inflection exclamation points. All right, so let me see if I can do this. So that was our talk on Three Amigos. Uh, we'd love to know what you think. Give us a call. What is it? 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com. For everybody that subscribes on Patreon, you know who you are. Thank you very much. We love you. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you. When are we going to see them? Next time. See you next time. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Electric acid.